we've all probably been through a breakup. Mike accepted. Thank you. Been married to the same person forever. I love you, baby. We've all at least had a friend go through a difficult breakup. And one thing you say to them is, you know, there are plenty of fish in the sea. But wouldn't it be more comforting if you could be more accurate? Exactly accurate. Tom Webb is a Royal Society University Research Fellow at the University of Sheffield, and he studies marine biodiversity. So, Tom, exactly how many fish are there in the sea? Okay, if I had to put a number on it, I've been doing some back-of-the-envelope calculations based on some, some really good recent studies. And I think we're into the quadrillions. So, wow. Uh, a quadrillion is one followed by 15 zeros. So, so I guess, I mean, that, you know, we use that phrase to comfort yeah. someone who's just, uh, mm-hmm. just been dumped. That is a very comforting number. It is. There's a, there's a lot of fish in the sea. Um, most of them are fish that we're not particularly interested in, though. So I've pulled that number from a study uh, which was looking at uh, what we call mesopelagic fish. So these are fish that live in the open ocean. They live usually between about 200 and 1,000 meters depth, and they're pretty small. Um, but these really dominate the biomass of fish in the world. And they are probably, well, almost certainly the most abundant vertebrates on Earth as well. So I guess as far as the the metaphor is concerned, these are sort of the the undateable fish. Yeah, yeah. So I can give you an estimate for for the the good catchers as well. Okay. Uh, So if you want to know about fish which are sort of in the range of, of, of sizes of things that we might like to see on our plate... So 10 grams to 100 kilogram range. And these are all of the sort of familiar, the familiar fish that you see at, at fishmongers and, you know, at fish markets and so on. The midpoint estimate is about 50 trillion of these fish. So, that, yeah, that, there's still quite a lot of fish in the sea and of, of, the, of the good catch as well. What do you think, Tom, when a fish is going through a tough breakup, what do you think its, mm-hmm. fish, its fish friends would say to comfort it? Oh, let me see. They might say, hey, there's plenty more picoplankton in the sea. And uh, there's probably a quadrillion of those in a, you know, in a teacup. So that, that's going to resonate with a heartbroken fish then. I think that's, that's pretty comforting for a cod that's, uh, that's just broken up, yeah. So are there fewer fish in the sea than there once were? So we know that very approximately we take about 100 million tons of fish out of the sea every year. So if you, again, very crudely guesstimate the average weight of a, a fish that we catch to be about a kilogram, this means we take about 100 billion fish out of the sea every year. Wow. And we've been doing that for a long time, not quite on that scale, but people have been catching fish for as long as we've known how to you know, make a net or or pick up a, a stick. Uh, as a species, we've now caught more fish than remain in the sea. Wow. So certainly some populations of fish uh, have decreased quite alarmingly. The encouraging thing is that when we manage, that if we, if once we start to recognize this and we, and we start to manage fish populations uh, better, then this management can be really effective. So... I, I, for our lovelorn friend, the right thing to say would be, there's plenty of fish in the sea, but it's going to take careful management for that to continue. Yeah. 
I think that's fair, and uh, and you may want to tell your friend not to be too fussy as well, because a lot of those fish maybe aren't the aren't the most uh, aren't the most stunning fish. That's good to know. Lower your expectations. That's right. Well, Tom, thank you so much. It's been good fun talking to you. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Coming up, we'll tell you how to keep your bike from ever getting stolen again. But first, hey, Peyton, what can we help you with? Well, uh, the question was, like, how many Davids uh, are in NPR? Okay, just to be clear, your question is how many Davids work at NPR? Uh, And I would include Dave in that category. There's an artistic license. So if you were to guess how many Davids there are, what would you guess? Uh, 50. 50. Okay, that's a lot of Davids. I don't even know. I'm including dead ones and people named Dave. Well, let's say living. Let's say living, living Davids, just just to keep the number All easier. Right, so, okay, living Davids. Then forty-two and a half. Sure, we can. We will look into this for you, Peyton. Okay. Well, I think we have someone who can help with this this question. Jane Gilvin is a data and search strategist with the Data Archives and Research Group at NPR. So Jane, let's start with this. How many people named David work at NPR? 20. Thanks, Jane. You're welcome. Now it's the part of our show where we talk about our sponsors who sponsor us. And this week our sponsors come from Stamps.com. Stamps.com helps businesses avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. With Stamps.com, use your own computer and printer to print official U.S. postage for any letter or package. Then the mailman picks it up. No more wasting time going to the post office or wasting money on expensive postage meters. Right now, sign up and use the promo code EVERYTHING for a special offer of four-week trial, plus postage in a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in EVERYTHING. And we have one more sponsor this week. Casper. You know them, they make mattresses. Before we get to that, we'd like to bring in a special guest. Can you uh, introduce yourself for us? Okay, my name is Matt Ress. I'm in the pest control business. I own my own company. And now you say your name is Matt Ress. Mattress, yes. Mattress. Correct. Well, this seems like the perfect time to talk to you about one of our sponsors, Casper. They're an online retailer for mattresses. They sell a mattress. Well, everybody needs one. Casper mattresses are American-made and obsessively engineered for comfort. So, mattress, are you, are you, do you comfort people? Well, I try the best as possible. Well, Casper uses two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, to give just the right amount of sink and bounce. Matt, do you sink and bounce? Um, myself, personally, no. Maybe my stomach. Casper has a risk-free trial. You can try out your Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and returns. Well, let me ask you, Matt. Uh, Casper says that they can. you can try out a Casper mattress for 100 days. Can I try out mattress for 100 days? I think you'd return them in five. Casper offers outrageous comfort at a polite price. So go to casper.com slash everything to check out their options. Casper has a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Use the promo code EVERYTHING to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress that works for you. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Matt, thank you so much. You bet. It's been a pleasure, and 
no good night's sleep. You can't beat that. We got an email from Cigna. Cigna says she listens to How to Do Everything while flying to see her long-distance boyfriend. Cigna, these next 15 seconds are for you. I think we can all agree that there's no song more perfect for a moment like this than Meet Me Halfway by Kenny Loggins. It brings forth both the longing and the anticipation for that much-anticipated meeting. And if you were to, say, arm wrestle upon um, finally being reunited with your beloved, uh, it brings back memories from Over the Top, in which it was the love theme. It's also a great message for when you're on a very long flight and you're trying to share the armrest with the person sitting next to you. May I stop for a moment? Hmm. Do you ever, do you actually share an armrest with a person? Always. Really? Just half of it. I would I think your arm hairs would touch. I love it. If you live in a city and you own a bicycle, Chances are someone is going to try to steal it. You probably have a U-lock, maybe have a chain lock. Any person will tell you they're no sure thing. Even if you're a bike thief, one of the bikes you steal from someone else will likely be stolen. Rick Polito has an idea about how to keep your bike from ever getting stolen. I have a theory that the last bike on the bike rack will be the ugliest bike. It's the theory of what I call the, the, the story of the black jelly bean. Ah. Say what you want about black jelly beans. They're the survivors. Yeah. When all the other jelly beans are gone, that's the last one is the black one. And if you can make your bike into the black jelly bean, has a better chance of surviving on the, the mean streets of America's cities. So uh, how do you do it? Well, for um, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. I had a bike when I lived in San Francisco, which was you know the capital of many things, including bike theft. And the, I wanted a bike that looked crappy but wasn't a crappy bike so i bought a bike with an aluminum frame and i got some really smelly uh, toxic stuff and took most of the paint off and i found a product called faux ferrous that gives you an iron appearance that rusts so i made a bike that looked like one solid piece of rust wow and and i took any little part that shouldn't even have been able to rust and made it look like it was cut rust. And then I tore the seat up a little bit and put some tape on there to make it look bad. And all the while, this bike, you know, functioned just fine. It shifted well. It did everything. But it looked terrible. And my idea was that no one would want to steal it in case, unless they had a predilection for, you know, ugly bikes. Had you lost any bikes before? Had, had bikes been stolen? I, I had um, three bikes stolen out of my garage in San Francisco. Whoa. They only here's here's the real lesson was that we had our neighbors who shared the same garage. Their their crappy old bikes were still there, so they just took the nice bikes. So I guess I learned my lesson right then was yeah. the crappier the bike, the less likely it is to get stolen. But again, you don't want it to be a crappy bike; you just want it to look like a crappy bike. So eventually, in my garage, I ended up uh, building a fa- a false wall at the back of the garage. Where it was the most fun thing I ever did. You reached up on a shelf and pulled on this jar that was there and it unlatched it and the whole wall moved open it was like the bat cave of places to keep your bike wow that's fantastic how did you how did you even know to do that with the jar latch and everything well i'd seen batman when i was a kid (laughs) (laughs) i'd seen a million shows they reached up i couldn't put a candle holder in the garage that would have been a giveaway 
That's probably true. Do you ever do you ever think about applying this same method to yourself? So like when you go out at night and you know you maybe it's a dangerous neighborhood, do you ever try? Well, and- you know, I I moved I moved to Boulder, so there is no dangerous neighborhood. <laughs> I actually had money fall out of my pocket and people chased me to give it back to me. <laughs> That's not right. I've, I've left bikes unlocked on the porch overnight and they're still there, which is against the. It's just not natural. There it's is no not. law of the jungle in Boulder. I wonder if even just a little fake barf on the seat would do the trick. Well, you know, you could get the the fake dog poop, too, and put that on the handlebars. I'd like to meet the dog that can poop on a bike seat, though. That's a a special dog. Shake that dog's hand. I'd like to steal him. Well, you could get an ugly dog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's true. Yeah, you could just shave your dog so it looks like he has mange. Yeah. Well, Rick, thanks so much for talking to us about this. All right. Get out there and roll. Rick Polito is a writer living in Colorado. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you know that there are other podcasts out there, too. You'll want to listen to Microphone Check. It's hosted by Ali Shaheed Muhammad from A Tribe Called Quest and Franny Kelly from A Tribe Called NPR. It's a great show. If you haven't heard it, they talk to people all over hip-hop and rap, people you've heard of, people you've never heard of, people just coming up. You can find Microphone Check at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I learned that um, when we say there's plenty of fish in the sea, we mean uh, about 50 trillion. Those are still really good odds. If you really, if you want a data fish. Yeah. I think what we're telling people is... I know you've just been through a bad breakup. Maybe, maybe humans aren't right for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe, um, maybe what's been missing from your relationships is you're always fixated on finding someone who breathes through their lungs, mm-hmm. not through gills on the side of their neck. Quit looking at the two legs. Look at the fins. I like the idea that by um, making your bike ugly, you make it unstealable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think about the days um, back when people were riding horses. And uh, if you tried the same trick, it's really not fair to the horse. Nobody wants an uglied up horse riding around. That horse is wearing jeans with holes in them. It's, it's wearing thick glasses. Do you think that as humans grow older that that's what we're doing? It's like, I don't want anyone to steal me. So what I'm going to do is grow these jowls. It's true. As we get older... Less and less we want someone new to come take us away. Yeah. And so we we ugly up ourselves. Yep. You know what? I think I have too much hair. I'm yep. too appealing. Yeah, better move this back. What if I sag here a little bit? How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte. Our intern this week, uh, Jane. David Gelke, David Shore, David Eads. David Folkenslick, David Gorslin, David Green, David Holly, David Johnson, David Julian Gray, David Kessenbaum, David Luke, David McGuffin, David Miller, David Pignelli, David Prince, David Shaper, David Strickland, David Sweeney, David Welna, David Williams. And I think there was a Dave somewhere. Let me find the Dave. Dave Mattingly. Oh yeah, was, twenty-one. Was uh, was the David McGuffin? Is that a real David? 
let me see. He is an editor for Morning Edition. Sure so he I is. See there's a picture of him. He looks pretty real. In fact, I think I saw him getting oatmeal this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's proof enough. <laughs> Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And you can visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm David. And I'm David. Thanks. Thanks.